Father, this evening we just thank you for this life, for this opportunity to be at your feet, to be taught of you. As your servant already prayed, it is the anointing that teaches us all things. I pray the anointing will rest upon both the teacher and the hearers, O Lord, so that we can be taught of you. Speak to us this evening, Lord. Bring also into our remembrance as we hear all those, all those things that you have taught us, that we are made firm, our hearts are stayed on you, your word, and the coming kingdom. Many come from work, many had a holiday, but both in your house at your feet, Lord, speak to us. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen, amen. Uh, the first text is from Matthew 7, verse 13 to 14, and the title of the message is from a famous poem, but it's not the poem, The Road Less Traveled. I think it's Robert Frost, right? Yeah. Matthew 7 and verse 13 and 14. The law road less traveled. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. Very few find this road. So there is a road on which very few travel, very few travel, and the Bible speaks about it. And uh, we keep, when we come to the word of, when we come to the house of God, the word of God always brings us to the reality that God's word points at. And because very few will find it, and very few will travel on it, we come back to the core issues in God's word. How do we find and stay on that road? First, we will go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17, where God's word says, see then, okay, very few walk that road, will find that road, or if they find, stay on that road. So scripture says, see then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as the wise, redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. And verse 17, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what, if you, if you read the whole context in which Jesus talks about this narrow road, you will also see it is connected with the will of God. Okay, the one, the ones who walk this narrow road are the ones who are actually seeking the will of God. And they stick to it. And, <coughs> They realize time, redeem the time. In Matthew 25, verse 14 and 19, so what I'm saying is first, we all have a common factor which is called time. In Matthew 5, verse 25, verse 14, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servant and delivered his goods to them. God is, has a kingdom. And all those who believe are part of the kingdom. And we all serve him in the kingdom. Wherever we are in the world, we are all serving him. And he called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. He delivered his resources to us. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. 
Then he who had heard, received the, who had received the five talents, went and traded with them, made another five. Likewise, who had received two, gained two more also. And he who had received one, went and dug in the ground, hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So when Jesus left, he gave us his spirit. And everybody who has the spirit, born of the spirit, has been entrusted not only with time which is common, but also with the resources of the kingdom, the talents of the kingdom, according to our ability. And there is a time that is going to come when God will come with all his children who are his servants, also children who are his servants, and say, I want to settle accounts with us. He will settle accounts with us. Please remember that. Wherever you are, a student or a worker or a servant of God, all are servants and we will be called one day to settle accounts. So we have time and we have resources or talents or gifts. In Matthew 6 verse 19 and 20, it talks about something else. All connected. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where the, where Neither moth nor rust destroys where thieves do not break in and steal. This third scripture turns everything upside down. Because in the world, in the earth, what is common is that people have time and people have talents. Not given by the Spirit of God, but given by God. You cannot have talents outside of God. Everything comes from God. The talents differ from ours because we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. But what is common between the people of the world and people of the kingdom is both have time and talent. And they use this to store treasures. And the difference is where we treasure. They store treasure on earth. Okay, they store treasure on earth. Okay, in the world, like you say, they're incredibly talented people, even talented thieves. To be a good thief, you need to be talented in your trade. They also store. But you see what happens in the world, everything they are storing is on earth. And remember in Luke 12, verse 20, 21, Jesus is talking about a rich fool. He said, fool. He's a rich fool. He's not a poor fool. Okay, he's a rich fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? He says, you had time and you had talent. But the problem is you stored up it in earth, on earth. And he who lays up treasures for himself, he laid up a treasure. He used his time and his talent profitably. He laid up a treasure. But the problem is he laid up his treasure on earth for himself. And he did not lay it in heaven. He was not rich towards God. The issue here is he stored up it upon earth. And not heaven. And in the process he loses it here. And he loses it there. So we have to keep our eyes on all three. Time. And our resources, our talents, and also our treasure. That's where Ephesians 5, right? 16 talks about beginning with redeem the time. Talks about redeeming your time. Why does the word use the term redeem? Redeem. Because there is only a certain amount of time given to everyone in a day. 
Everyone is only allotted a certain amount of time. You and I know today was 24 hours. But in long term, none of us know how many days are allotted to us. And the thing is that it differs. Some of you are coming from work. Some of you had a holiday. The question is, how did you use your time? And if you look at the church, you will see those who came from work came on time and those who came from a holiday came late. How did you use your time? How did you use your time? I'm not talking about about coming late to church. I'm talking about time because this has got to do with time. Time is not money. The world will say time is money. But time is like money. There is only a certain amount you can spend. And uh, longevity, we say, is not the issue. Some people like Methuselah live long. But they hardly made use of their time. If you look at Methuselah, what is written about him? Nothing. The only reason he lived long was because of God's mercy. He didn't use his time. He lived 969 years because God said when this dude dies, everybody will die. So God kept him alive. I mean, imagine if you had 969 years and you had the time and the talent and you had the focus on God, what you could have done in your lifetime. But the problem is longevity means nothing, absolutely nothing. If you haven't stored up treasures in heaven, if you haven't achieved something in the eternal. You see, when it comes to money and time, let's I'm using a comparison because the Bible talks about you need to understand... Uh, 2,658, if I'm right, my memory. I never counted, others do this counting for me. Okay, the Bible talks about money around 2,658 times. When somebody has counted, don't waste time over it. Let him count. But he has. And God spoke more about money in the Bible than almost every subject. The only subject Jesus spoke more than money is about the kingdom of God. They actually say one out of seven verses in the new four gospels is about money. Okay. So the thing is that when you look at terms, it's easy to compare. When you look at time and when you look at money, you have fixed expenses. Like you have to pay your rent. You have to pay your electricity bill. You have to pay your water bill. You have to buy your essential commodities. So these are fixed expenses. If you have children, they have fee. If you have a vehicle, petrol, a maintenance. After the fixed expense, if you have a maid, her salary or his salary, whatever, driver. After those fixed expenses are over, you have a certain amount of money left. The question is, what do you do with that? In the same way, you have fixed expenses with money, time. Which you cannot negotiate with. There are certain things we have to do every day. After that, you have a certain amount of time in your hands. And the question is... What did we do with that? What did we do with the rest? Okay, we'll come to it as we go and depending on the time we have. Because we only have a certain amount of time and a certain amount of money left. And how do you manage your resources? Because there is a person who will one day settle accounts. Okay, So you have to be careful. I'm using a very financial term about this commodity called time. 
24 hours, lots of demands, lots of attractions, lots of distractions, lots of needs and lots of wants. And I have to redeem my time. If I have to redeem my time, I have to take my time from something else and put into something else which I consider value. So I have to prioritize. This is not so valuable. This is valuable. So I take my time out and put my time into this. Okay, last week uh, my, my mom went to Kerala and her, her cousin had come to take her. And he's 74 years old and he's a lawyer. He's not a believer, but you don't have to be a believer to be structured in your life. And I was talking to him. He's my uncle. He's 74 years old. And he was talking to me and it's interesting. He's a lawyer. He said, at 50, I decided to change my career. I studied law at 50. And he became a lawyer. And he said, when I was 50, my hair was gray. But I realized that if you go as a gray-haired lawyer to the court, they won't respect you because they're a new dude. So he said, I dyed my hair and looked young. Okay, looked young. Okay. And the thing is that he says, and, and he's a successful lawyer. He is in, practices in Kerala and he practices in Bombay High Court. And he just switched his career at 50. Then one thing he told me, he said, I said, uncle, what time will you get up? Or do you, um, no, I will wake up by this time, I'll make it. He said, no problem. He says, one thing, he said, his son is that, he says, I sleep only four hours a day. And that's enough for me. And I'm absolutely refreshed. And I looked at him and I thought, oh Lord, I wish I had learned to this. And I was thinking, maybe, okay, he changed his career at 50, right? I'm in my 50s. Maybe I should start practicing cutting down my sleep time from six to four, little by little. Because you know what? If you can sleep four hours a day and at 74 feel fit, imagine the amount of time you save in an year to use that time into something profitable in eternity. He's using it in temporary, but look at time. 365 into two, that's a lot of man hours you can spend. Okay, and I looked and I really, really was like, you know, zapped when you at 74, you only need. And which was true when I came down and he said, he's already downstairs. And he said, I woke up at 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> every day, every day he was there, 4.30 in the morning, he was up. And I looked at if a man in the world can do it, why is that we who have been anointed with power from above struggle? Because we are not prioritizing. That's the whole thing. That's where the issues come. Okay. How do I make my choices? And I realized, we saw it long time ago, again and again. It depends upon where my eye and your eyes, our eyes are, and where our heart is fixed. So in 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul will say, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Things which are not seen are eternal. Where am I keeping my Eyes on, because you will suddenly realize in eternity there is no time. I have been given time here. In eternity, I do not have to worry about limited resources. Resources are, in eternity, I don't have to worry about weariness, tiredness, sleep, all these things I don't have to worry about. That is all restrained to here. But that eternity is going to be defined by how I use all those things here. Where is my heart, my mind fixed on? There is this rule which theologians call the rule of one. It is found in Luke 16 and verse 13. This is called the rule rule of one. No servant can two, serve two masters. It's impossible. 
absolutely impossible. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. There is no room in the human heart for two rulers. You cannot serve eternity and the temporary. You cannot serve God and mammon. C.S. Lewis said this, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you will get neither. So you see, our priorities change according to our focus. Our focus. And you have to therefore see, if our eye is on heaven, you have to see time has a very sacred commodity. And the only thing, therefore, in time that matters is God and people. And how you use your time to serve God and his people. You will see the eternal in the scripture again and again in Colossians 3. If then you are raised with Christ. First he says, make up your mind. Are you raised with Christ? One of the things I was teaching over the is from Ephesians 2, 6. I said, you are seated with Christ in high places. I said, you see, when you go to uh, high-tech city, all those who work in high-tech city, you have to look at the buildings like this. Wow, right? How many stories? But you know, when the aircraft takes off from Samshabad and goes over it, they all look like matchboxes. Like this. The whole thing is perspective. If you are seated with Christ Jesus, you have what you call in English, a bird's eye view of life. And you will suddenly see the things on earth which look so big are irrelevant. Are irrelevant. The issues of life which look so big are irrelevant. And issues of life which look really small from here are really big there. No. So the scripture says, if you are raised with Christ Jesus, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. There are things that are above. What are the issues that concern heaven? That what are the issues that concern eternity? Set your mind on things above and not on the things on earth. Your perspective will change. How you use your time, how you use your resources, it will absolutely change. And where you store your, your, your treasure. Because your eye is on heaven, does not make you an uncaring person. Because if you are seated with Christ, where Christ is, he's the most caring person. So don't ever think you are, because you're heavenly minded, you are of no earthly good. Actually, only heavenly minded people are of any earthly good in the eternal perspective. They are not looking at the temporary. They are looking at the eternity of every soul. People who are eyes are on God actually care deeply for others. In Philippians 2, 4, the same apostle who is seated with Christ will let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 24, let no one seek his own, but each one, the other's well-being. Because why? You suddenly realize when you are seated on high, that the only thing that actually matters in eternity is its people and God. On earth people, in heaven God. And this is not a sloppy emotional caring. People who are heavenly minded are absolutely aware of their gift, their talent and their time. And they use their time and their talent to serve God and 
others. Like Vijay and I talk and when I tell in the, when I, when I preach in this mission grounds, one of the things the pastors come and ask me, always ask me, pastor, how many hours do you study a day? They always want to ask this question. What I was telling Pastor Vijay also this morning is that, Pastor, um, Pastor Vijay, we don't study eight hours, uh, ten, ten hours for ourselves. I don't need to eat that much for myself. I don't need that much. Okay? Because scripture says faith comes from hearing. Not by reading, by hearing. And the second things God has given us, the people to be saved by the foolishness of preaching. So the fact is that the church, the congregation has to be fed, has to be taught. They are not going to read. And even if they read, most of them are not going to understand because that is given to the teachers. To make them understand, to teach. So the fact is that I can sit in my office or in my house and think, Lord, what is the best way I can serve your people? There are many things I can do. But there is one gift I have received, that is teach. And to teach, I need to study. I take 10 hours to sit and study every day, or I can do the 10 hours to run around and do so many other things which I can do. But I wouldn't be serving people. So everybody has to look at this. What is unique to me? What is unique to me? And that is where I have to maximize to serve. The thing is that we all work. We all don't serve. You and I have called to maximize what God has given to us, which is unique to us. Maximize it to serve the body of Christ, to serve therefore God. You see, we read about the parable of the talents in Matthew. There is another one which is actually not similar, quite different. The parallel which is in Luke. In Luke 19 you will see. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Look at the context. They were thinking the kingdom would come, boom, we'll all go, we'll start all having a gala time here on earth or go to heaven. He told them a parable. Told them. Therefore he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. That's again he. He's going. When he comes back, he will receive a kingdom. Then, so he called ten of his servants and delivered to them ten minas. So let's say money. Okay, ten talents. Let's use the term talents instead of minor, amount of money. He gave them ten minas and said to them, do business till I come. KJV is best. It says occupy till I come. Now here is the difference. In the other one, one was given five, another one was given three, there was one was given one. Now he's focusing down. He called ten and gave each one one. It's a different. Look at the difference. Ten people are called, each one is given one. One. Ten servants, ten minus. All gets one. And let's see what happens. Everyone is given one. And when he returns, it is difficult. It is different. In verse 16, he returns. Then came the first thing. Master, your minor has earned ten minus. Everybody was given one each. One guy comes and says, Master, I made ten out of your one. And listen to the master's response. Yeah. He said to him, well done, good servant. Subash. Well done. You were faithful in very little and have authority over ten cities. The next one comes. Let's look at that. Verse 18. 
Second one saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Now you realize. One was given one, he made ten out of it. Another was given one, he made five out of it. Likewise, he said to him, you shall be over. He didn't say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He didn't tell him that. He didn't say that. He said, your potential was the same as because I gave you one, I gave you one. You could have brought ten, but you only brought five. At least you brought five. Good job. Good job. Meaning, you maximized your time and your talent, the first one. Second, you didn't. Still you brought something. You didn't waste your whole time. You still used your time and your talent and brought in five. So you take charge over five cities. And then comes the final fellow. The fellow who hid. Okay, verse 24. He said to those who stood by, we know about that fellow. We, we don't have to go back. He said, take the mina from him. What did he say? Take his mina. And give it to him who has ten minas. He said, don't give it. He didn't say give it to the fellow who has five. He didn't say give it to the fellow who has five. He said, give it to the fellow who has ten. But they said to him, master, he has ten minas. You ought to give him the eleventh one. You see, there is no socialism in the kingdom of heaven. Understand that. It is, it is not. There's no socialism over there. God says, I'm a, I'm an extremely fair businessman. Okay, fair businessman. And I expect, when I give you something, I expect returns. And look at his answer. For I say to you that everyone who has not who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. So you have to look it into that perspective. You cannot let your body play fools by saying sleep nine hours. You can let your mind go distracted over here because you are not playing with time. You are playing with eternity. Everyone sitting here is playing with eternity. Pastor Eric uh, keeps calling and he keeps telling me of all the reports that is coming from the mission field. And one thing he said this morning, he says, Pastor, this is young man from Hazaribagh, far away from Hazaribagh. He said he came for that last meeting, which was at Hazaribagh. He says he's doing his PG. He's not a rich guy, doing his PG. Every morning from 7 to 9, he works. He works whatever works as a gardener odd jobs, whatever, 7 to 9. And during that time, he plugs in and he listens to a message. And then at 9, he gets ready and goes to college and comes. And he doesn't have transport. So for our meeting, because he has heard the messages for our meeting at Hazaribagh, he walked one and a half hours to reach the meeting. Okay? See, the minute you hear the word, if your priorities haven't changed, that means you haven't heard the word. You haven't heard the word. You really haven't heard the word. That's why the Spirit of God says, all those who have ears, listen. He says, listen. All those who have ears, hear. God says, you need to be say, God is not a man that he should lie. He never, which is true, he never changes. He never lies. Everything that he has said is true. I've given you, I will ask accounts, and your eternity will be decided by how you believed and acted on what you heard. Perspective has to change. The perspective doesn't change. The thing is that the word hasn't gone into our heart. You see, the first person, the one who was given one and brought ten, he saw his life as a trust. God has trusted me with time and with a talent. My talent and my resources are a trust. It's a trust. We didn't earn it. 
It's a trust. That's why 1 Timothy 6 and verse 7 says, we brought nothing into this world and we can carry out nothing. It doesn't say you cannot store something on the other side. You can carry nothing out of here. Nobody came here with anything. And the very fact that nobody will take away anything should give us a completely different perspective. The Bible says, even if, even if you can't take away anything, doesn't mean you cannot have anything in heaven. So we have to maximize our time and our talent, our gift to work for God. Like I've said this before, again I will tell you, time is like a loaf of bread. Each day I am eating a slice. And the problem is, each day the loaf gets shorter and shorter and shorter. And it is not like I can see the end of the loaf. No, I cannot see the end of the loaf. If I could see the end of the loaf, I could number my days. The Bible says number your days, still you cannot number it. That's why the Bible says, if the Lord wills. Therefore, I also said, if the Lord wills, I will see you and preach again in December. But there are no guarantees about the end. There are no guarantees about end. The issue is so many God's children around the world are faltering spiritually, kingdom-wise, as the days go by. They are either distracted or discouraged. Distracted by the temporal or discouraged by the events of life. Without realizing, days are passing by. And we are making choices that will have eternal consequences. To the churches in the book of Revelation, seven churches in the book of Revelation, to five churches out of seven, he actually says, I know your deeds. I know your works. Five out of seven. To Smyrna, of course, he says, I know your affliction and your poverty, but you are rich. And to Pergamum, he says, I know where you live. You are living where Satan has his headquarters, yet you have not denied my name. So God says, I know your work, I know your affliction, I know your situation. I know it all. I know your works. And you know, my work is almost entirely defined by how I spend my time and my resources. Time plus resources is equal to work. I know your work. I know your deeds. To the church in Thyatira, he says in Revelation 2.19, it's interesting, I know your works. Love, service, faith, and your patience. Listen to this. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Now, everybody who's been in the Lord, let's say five years, six years, ten years, twelve years, can you actually say that the works that God does through you is now much more than what he used to do in the beginning? That's a good barometer to measure according to the word of God. Because usefulness in the kingdom should increase. Because you have learned how to maximize your time and your talents and your priorities are very, very clear. Whatever your talent is, that's what he's telling you. Your works are more now than the first. To Sardis, he says... Be watchful, strengthen the things which remain. They are ready to die for. I have not found your works perfect before God. He says, you're working. But your works are not up to the mark. Are not up to the mark. So even in works, he 
expects a level of efficiency or perfectness. I tell people there are three things he talks about perfect in the Bible. One is love, the other is your word, your language, and the third, uh, how you speak, and the third, here he say, uses the word work. Are you getting how God looks at it? Now God doesn't just say, I have given you time, I have given you talent, now give me accounts. Thank God that's not the way he operates. In the kingdom, there is an added factor which is called faith. By faith, first you realize both your time and your gift are gifts from a sovereign God. First thing you realize is that I am not my own. I was bought with a price was bought with a price. Every hour, every minute is a gift. And I need to be a steward. I came with nothing. I could have died at childbirth. Therefore, time is a blessing. Talent is a blessing. It's a blessing. I have said, testified many times. I could not speak. <laughs> I was a nervous wreck. I could never speak. But now all I do is speak. So I realize it's a gift. I've been given a gift by God is to speak. And I need to speak what he tells me. And so I say, Lord, maximize it. So we know Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible to please God. So the object of our faith is God. And we also know from Hebrew, you are very good now with the word Hebrews 11. One says faith is the substance of things hoped for. Your faith will be always connected with what you hope for. And the problem of sadly, the theology of the past 20, 30 years is that our hope is in the temporal. And not in the eternal. It's all about the temporal. It is good. Certain temporal things we really need. They all came to Jesus for temporal. Everything, Lord, I'm sick. My child is sick. We are hungry. Lord, ask this brother to divide his property with me. Every need people came to him was temporal. And when he started pointing to the eternal, people started walking away. So Jesus finally asked the disciples, do you also want to go away? So Peter asked about, replies about the eternal. He says, where can we go? You alone have the words of life. We know also 1 Corinthians 15, 19, our hope. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Most pitiable. Right? Like if you look at that, I don't know whether he came, this mega million lottery in US. No, it's over a billion dollars. Still the fellow who won it hasn't come out in the public. If I'm right. Now imagine December, November 30th is the last date. And on December 2nd, he searches, ah, I, I forgot I bought a ticket. And he looks, all right, I won it. But the date is expired. Think about what an idiot he will feel like. God is saying, you know what? A lot of Christians are going to feel like absolute total idiots because they use their time and their talent and their faith for temporal things and when they go up there, their hands are absolutely empty. Pitiable. He's not talking about salvation here. He said, you know what? You stored nothing here. Absolutely nothing here. Nothing. You stored here by claiming and naming and grabbing. You stored 
stored here. You got more than what you wanted here. You used your faith to grab things here. Because the object of your faith was here and not there. That's what he's talking about. And the object of our faith is God, not things. Is God. Because faith, if the object of our faith is not God, the nature of our work will change and how we work. In Revelation 2 and verse 26, when he talks to another church, he says, He who overcomes and keeps, 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 my works, not my works, his works. Understand that. Who keeps my works until the end. I can use faith, appropriate God's power to do my works, or I can appropriate faith and use my time and my talents to do His works until the end. And even the power, the strength to do it, understand it, First Corinthians chapter 2. The object of our faith is God. Not only the object of our faith, it's also the resource to do it. Your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but your faith should be in the power of God. Because the first thing you will realize is when God calls you to do His work, you cannot do it. You simply cannot do it. It's impossible to do it. If you do it, you will never do it till the end. You will buckle under pressure, quit and go. That's why he told the children, he told them, sit down, wait till you receive power. Faith is like an electrical equipment. It will operate only when it is plugged to the right power source. The object of a faith is not men, but in the power of God. In Isaiah 26 and verse 12, scripture says, Lord, you will establish peace for us. You have also done all our works in us. It is he who does the work in us. It is he who does the works through us. And that's where the priority focus comes. Because you can use your time and your talent for a lot of things. That does not mean he is doing his work in us or through us. It is his works. That's where focus comes in. But focus alone is not enough. We need power. Why do people run after money? It's because in the world, money is power. It's buying power. But in the kingdom of God, the Holy Spirit is the source of power, not money. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, you shall receive what? Power. They have been already been commissioned to work. This is the work you shall do. This is the areas you will travel. But he says you need power. Focus is very clear. Use your time. Use your talent. Everything I have given you. Open your eyes, you understand the scriptures, everything. But you need power. He says, you will receive power. That's why post-Pentecost, one of the first statements when the apostles step out into the public is actually a complete inversion of the world and the kingdom. In 3.6, Peter said, silver and gold, I do not. Because in the world, you can, power is always measured in terms of gold and silver. We just had the, the, the elections in US for the Congress and some seats of the Senate. One party alone spent 1.5 billion or 2.5 billion dollars for the elections. Now elections is a sovereign choice of the people for a leader. Why do you have to spend so much money? Because without money, it is impossible to win elections. That's why all the raids in Andhra Telangana, how much have they caught already? 74 crores in different vehicles. 
Because elections. In the world, money is equal to power. So the first thing they say is, our priorities have changed, our talent is there, our focus is on the kingdom of God, yet we do not have gold or silver, but we have something else which gold and silver cannot buy. What I have, do have, I give it to you. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up. That's the power he was talking about. The power of God. Think about And the difference between these two, money power and the Holy Spirit power. The Holy Spirit's power from Genesis 1-1 till when there is no time is always the same. It never changes. But money power changes. My grandfather told me that in his time, one rupee bought a sack of rice. Today it is how much? 1,500? 1,500 times more I need, the grandson needs if he has to buy a sack of rice. See, this. So inflation doesn't hit Holy Spirit power. (laughs) Unaffected. Absolutely unaffected. The power of God is like God. The same yesterday, today and forever. Yet in this world, money is the commodity we use. Therefore God says, do not serve money. But child of God, you learn how to get money serve you. Learn how to get money to serve you. Okay. Now, I cannot live on Holy Ghost power alone because I need to eat too. So God says, learn how to use money to serve you. Don't serve money. So in Acts chapter 4, there are two spiritual things over there. Two proclamations. In 4, it's not 2, 4, 34 and 35. Now, nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of land or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold. First act of surrender is, they realize, we are possessors of possessions, but first act is that we are going to make an investment. We're going to make an investment. And we are making a very wise investment. We'll invest here in people and get the returns there. They made a very clear investment. We have and we are going to give to those in the body of Christ who don't have. First investment. Second surrender, they laid them at the apostles' feet. They laid them at the feet. We are not going to control. We are here to serve. Because if you lay it at the apostles' pocket, then you are saying that I control your pocket. But when you put it at his feet, you are saying that we are here to serve. You see, two acts that make. Because the kingdom of God, the focus is God and the people. And the source of power is the Holy Spirit. And God says, use money. Use money. Don't worry about it. Use money. Understand that. It begins with that. The work of the church begins in Acts chapter 2 when Paul and Peter and uh, preachers and then Peter and John steps forward and one thing they say is, you know what, we have what you don't have. We don't have gold and silver. It will come as the need arises, but we have something. That's where it begins. So you have you have time, you have talent, and faith focuses on God, and faith does not rest in the wisdom of men, it rests on the power of God. 
Okay. Look at first Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. Somebody is called to work. Samuel took a flask of oil, poured it on his head, kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you, commander of... In one moment, in one moment, spiritually speaking, a keeper of donkey becomes the judge of the people. One moment changed everything. What did he do? Just took an oil of flask of oil, anointed him, representing the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Start your work. Your work has changed. A keeper of donkey cannot rule over people, but the anointing will enable you to do this task. Anointing changes everything. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13, scripture says, Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. He got up and went, and he is now anointed, a keeper of sheep is now anointed to rule over people. It's a work. You need to, to go through the Bible and you see what all different works the anointing does. In Acts chapter 2, verse 2 and 4, 2 to 4, scripture says, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house they were sitting. Then appeared to them divided tongues of fire. One sat upon each of them. And verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit. And they are commissioned to do the work of the church. So everywhere you will see it is the same Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 4 verse 18, I want you to look at this carefully. Scripture says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set a liberty. This is also the work of the Holy Spirit, but this is not the only work of the Holy Spirit. This is not the only work of the Holy Spirit. Once you have been set free, you are also anointed to do the work. Don't limit the work of the Holy Spirit to the work He does in you. But open up your hearts and mind to the work He does through you because otherwise it is the greatest waste of power. Waste of power. That is why a relationship with God, especially with the Holy Spirit and obedience to the Holy Spirit is so important. It's so important because that's the only thing on that day when you settle accounts, you'll be able to say, Lord, here, you gave me one, I brought in ten. In First Samuel 16 and verse 14, scripture says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. It departed. And you look from that moment after the spirit of God departed Saul. He's a different man. Scripture says when the Spirit of God came upon Saul, he was a different man. And the day the Spirit of God departed Saul, he was a madman. He did a lot of work after that. Nothing was counted. In Judges 16 and verse 20, another man who was anointed, she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. He awoke from his sleep and he said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know. The Spirit had gone. When the Holy Spirit left, the anointing to do the work of God left. And you and I will fail in our task. When these things happen today, what happens is people rely on money to do their work. And they will always point to money, to numbers, to different things. You're not pointing to like, it is God who is with me. So it doesn't matter. But they're always pointing to other things. Be very careful. 
Be very, very careful. Because there is an anointing to do the work. You have a time frame, you have a talent frame, but you have that power component which comes from the Holy Spirit. And I'm showing you, anointing is given to judge, anointing is to set you free, anointing is given to us to learn all things, but the anointing is given for almost everything. When Joseph served as a slave and as a prisoner, twice it is written in in 39.2 Genesis, the Lord was with Joseph. Therefore, he was a successful man. How do you read it? He was anointed to be a successful man. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Therefore, he was incredibly successful as a slave to the point the Egyptian master picked this Hebrew slave and put him on the top, not because he was a Hebrew, but because he was anointed. And the anointing was showing in his work. The master had no clue. He only knew, ah, who, whichever God he worshipped, his God. Because they always had many multiple gods. And he saw his go- God was cool. I'm profiting from his work. When he's thrown as a prisoner, scripture says, the Lord was with Joseph. And showed him mercy. What does it actually mean? Actually, it, for me, it means is that not only that he worked well and he would give given supervisory capacity. Prisoners are beaten black and blue those days. And I believe he was not abused. God said, leave him alone. Don't beat him. Entrust him. He's a good servant. You see, it was the anointing that made the difference. But it will take years later, 13 years later, for a Gentile king, a pharaoh, a Gentile king, to realize the reason why he was successful. Second, yeah, 41, 38, not, uh, not uh, 38, yeah. Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the? He found his source. He saw his source. You see, every work of God was done through the word, but it was brought into being always by the spirit of God. That's why the scripture says the spirit of God is hovering for the word to come. The work was actually done by the spirit of God. That's why Jesus is telling his disciples, it's good for you that I go. And I will send somebody like you will be with you forever. Not only will he counsel you, he will also give you power to walk according to that counsel and fulfill the work of God. A Gentile king recognizes the source of Joseph's power. Joseph had an anointing over his life to serve God's purpose everywhere. Everywhere. In his father's house, as a slave, as a prisoner, and now as a governor. The question is, what qualification does Joseph have to become the governor of Egypt? Answer, nada, nil. The only qualification he has is he's anointed to serve. In him and through him, he's anointed to serve. You see, in the old covenant, the priests were anointed to serve. They'd never had to do anything on their strength. God says, you will be anointed to serve. Interesting thing is that when Moses is told to build the temple, the tabernacle. Look at Exodus 31, verse 1 to 6. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with in wisdom, understanding, knowledge, all manner of workmanship. Why did he fill this man with the Holy Spirit to do artistic works, to work in gold, to work in silver, and work in bronze? If is the same God, why do you think he cannot fill you with the Holy Spirit to do your process? 
you're doing and working there for the glory of God. Wherever you're working, whatever capacity you're working in the world, why do you think he will not fill you with the Holy Spirit so that I have filled him with the Spirit of God to design. And verse 5 and 6, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, to work in all manner of work, workmanship. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans. You will always see the pattern is the same. Everywhere it is the same. When God calls somebody to do a work. When Jethro came over and saw that Moses was so burdened. You will see that in Exodus 18. So burdened. He says, this is my advice. And if the Lord commands you, do this. He says, pick people from your group. Who have wisdom with understanding and all that. And entrust over tens, over five hundreds, over thousands, so that they may be able to judge. In book of Acts, when there is an issue of the feeding of the poor, they said, you know what? We don't have to struggle over this. Pick seven men full of the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. You see, they never tried to do anything outside the power of God, even as simple as serving at the table or designing on jewels and gold and wood. And the God has been saved. He is the same God he hasn't changed. And that's what God is talking about. In the work that we are doing, can we actually invite God in? We can, if it is his work. Often we do, often we do not invite him in. It's because we know he will not bless our work. Because the focus is not God and the focus is not the eternal. It is temporal. See, the purpose was very clear. What is it? Build the house of God. House of God. The Holy Spirit was not limited to kings and priests, but to ordinary people who were engaged in a building work. So God says, do you see my ways? Do you see? What about students? In Daniel chapter 1 verse 17, all the subjects have nothing to do with the Bible. Nothing to do with the Bible. Scripture says, for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. Actually, literature of whom? Of the Babylonians. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And verse 20, in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which king examined them, he found them what? See, there are two sources. All the magicians and the astrologers who are all around the king, why are they with the king? Because they have another source of power. But there were no match to this young man who had Holy Ghost power. No match. And that's what God is talking about. You have time, you have talent. Do you understand my power? Do you understand my power? But he says that power is not going to come into your lives until your perspective changes. Your perspective has to move from the temporary to the eternal. From the treasure on earth to the treasury even. And when your perspective is that, you will start making investments which is in God and in the people. You will start making, which will change your life, your perspective, everything. The question is, where is our focus? Listen to a people who lost focus. Who started a work and lost focus. Haggai chapter 1 verses 2 and 4. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts saying, This people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. He says, you lost your focus. You started building your house and little distraction came, little trouble, you forgot it. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai to the prophet by saying, 
Is it time for yourself to dwell in your paneled houses, this temple to lie in ruins? He says, you took your time, your resources, your talents, you left my work uncomplete, and you all built paneled houses. You built your careers. You built everything. And you forgot my work. You lost your focus. If you had done this, I would have done this. And because you did this, you will at the end neither have this nor that. And he says, don't you see how your life is? Spiritually speaking, in verse 5 and 5 to 7, he says, Now therefore, says the Lord, consider your ways. We looked at it years back before most of you were here. Some of you are not even alive. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. Meaning you are never satisfied with life. It's not that you don't eat and your stomach is not full. Nothing satisfies you. This is emptiness, vacuum. You got all this money. You got all this thing. You eat all the different, different varieties of food, but... Dissatisfied. You drink, but you're not filled with the drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. No one is warm. Are you satisfied with your wardrobe? I heard somebody saying that in India, there are more TVs in every house than the people who live in the house. Are you satisfied? No. You clothe yourself, no one is warm. He who earns wages, earns wages to put in a bag with holes. Reason? Your focus went wrong. The focus went wrong. That's why the Bible always talks about a renewed mind. The mind that is focused on there. Let me tell you something. This is an aside just telling you. Because I see this, saw this early in my life, beginning of my ministry. And I've seen this over and over. You see that in meetings, you see on TV. People are so attracted by the temporal the physical. So you will see in meetings, people coming, falling, lying, seeing visions, dreams, prophesying, speaking in tongues. They will get up and go and you will see most of them, their lives never change. Because they were touched in the body, they never was touched in their mind. But you will see in another meeting, one man or one woman or a child hears the word of God, receives it, walks away and God makes a difference in his generation using that man because his mind was touched. If you look at Saul when he was anointed, he was there prophesying and they all said, man, is the son of Kish also a prophet? At the end of his life, you will see him all lying there and prophesying, but his mind was never changed. You look at the entire life of David, you will never see him falling anywhere. But was a man whose mind was renewed. And the people are still after these spectacles because they don't want their mind changed. It is good to have this. If your mind is changed, if your mind is changed, all things are, all these things are not going to make an iota of difference in your life. The question is this. When you are anointed, when you are anointed, understand once why you are anointed. You are anointed to serve. You are anointed to serve. What are you anointed? To serve. Understand that. One of the first things you need to understand when your perspective of the kingdom changes and your future is there and not here, one of the first things you need to know is don't look for a platform or a stage. Look for a place to serve. Don't look for a platform or a stage. Look for a place to serve. In Joseph's house, 
He was anointed. He was the only one who was anointed. First he served maybe 11 brothers, father, stepmothers. He served them. Small group with the anointing, he served them. Then as a slave, I don't know in Potiphar's house how many people there must have been. 100, 150, 200. So now from 20 or 50, he's serving 150. The anointing is opening up a larger group of people for him to serve. False accusation, he's thrown into the prison. Now he's not serving 150, he's probably serving 1,500 prisoners. Don't be foolish and see with the eyes of flesh and look at the places he is, rather look at the people he's serving. Because if you look at the palace and say, hey, he's a slave, God says, yeah. He's a slave. So are you in the IT company. The question is not whether you are a slave. How many people are you serving? Everybody is a slave. There's no free man here. Either you are a slave of God or you are a slave of yourself. Everybody is a slave. The question is not whether you are a slave or not. The question is how many are you serving? Are you a servant? And is your service increasing? So from 15 to 150 to 1500. Then in Genesis 41 and verse 41, scripture says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I give you all of Egypt. All of Egypt. Serve Egypt. Now you think, you have to understand this because we don't read scripture carefully. Read scripture carefully. If you and I without a servant heart is put over a place like Egypt, what will we do? First thing we'll order is I want the curtains changed. Uh, okay, this is my new house. I want a teak wood table. Now Joseph, listen to what he does in verse 46. As soon as he's made governor. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh the king. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh when throughout all the land of Egypt. If you have put me in charge of Telangana and I am the... T- CM of Telangana, I want to know every village, every town I'm responsible for, and I'm going to travel and see the people you have put me over. I'm not going to sit in the, in the secretariat or assembly in this thing and do no, I want to see the people over whom you have put over. He traveled through Egypt and knew the people over whom he was given charge to serve. At a time like that, 3,000, 4,000 years ago, that's a man who who is fit to sit on that seat. He knows his duty. He is a servant. And scripture says in 55, when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Go to Joseph. So now you have see, he went to all the people. And now in the hour of crisis, all the people are being sent to him because God knows this is the only guy who will serve. Who will serve. And in verse 57, it doesn't even stop there, the anointing. All countries came to Joseph in Egypt. Did you see? How God is increasing his territory. This is the principle in the kingdom. You and I have been given time, talent and power. And where we store our treasures is where we are focused. Where are we storing our treasures? That's the whole thing. The Bible does not say run your, run your race in vain. No, 
why he says run your race to win the prize. The, you, you, this, because you have to, you have to realize there is something which is common about all of us. That is time and talent. Everybody has some talent. And you can become better and better and better. The Hindi word is nupun ho jayega. You can become very good in your talent depending upon how. And you can only become good in the talent which God has given by giving it away. If you keep it, it will rust. Whatever God has gifted you with, keep on, work on it and give it away. Work on it, give it away. Work on it, give it away. That's the only way you will be good. The minute you store, rust gets up. That's the principle of the kingdom. So servants in the kingdom are always looking for opportunity. You gave me a gift and I'm going to use it to serve, not to lord over others. I'm using it to serve Lord. And you will see God says, I see you, you have my heart. And I will see you. You will get better as the days goes by. That's why he's telling the church over there, Sardis Thyatira, he says, your works are more now than when you came in first. More. That's what God is talking about. But the devil is a distractor. He will distract you to take your time off, your eyes off. Because the problem is, if I get distracted today, I have only 24 hours. And by the time I come out of the distractions, three hours are over. Now I have only 22 left. In First Samuel chapter 17, 26 to 27, I'm just teaching older and younger people over here. David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? We all know this. But we don't know all this. The people answered to him in this manner saying, so it shall be done for the man who kills him. And verse 25 is what they told actually. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has been come up to defy Israel. It shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, give his father's house exemption from tax in Israel. He comes there with bread. He actually comes to serve his brothers. Then he realized there is a battle going on over here. It's not his battle, it's his brother's battle. It's not his battle. They are the soldiers. He's not the soldiers. He's not in the army. He's a shepherd boy. But he looks at her and he says, okay, I'm willing to join this battle. What is the spoil? If I join this battle and I win, what do I get? You need to realize every battle doesn't have a spoil. The devil knows that very well. So what he will do is he will distract you from battles that have spoil. Spoil means booty, which you get. The treasure you get, okay? When God took Israel into, into the promised land, he told Joshua, first city, everything for mine. After that, take the spoil, take the spoil, take the spoil. They're not fighting the battle in vain. After every battle, they will bring in so much. to fighting battle, which is connected with a spoil. But the devil is so smart that he will distract us and get us into battles that have no spoil. Look at the other verses which I gave. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the man. Eliab's anger was aroused against David. He said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David said, what I have done? Is there not a cause? And verse 30 says, can I have verse 30 also? He says, what did he do? He turned away. Now there are two battles. One is the battle, if you fight Goliath, you will receive a spoil. And there, his brother is picking a battle with him. 
And it's the enemy trying to distract you from the core battle you're called to fight. And you look at it, houses have been compromised because men and women are fighting with each other instead of fighting the enemy. Churches are so compromised that they're all busy fighting with each other because they don't realize you're fighting battles in which there is no spoil. Over arguments, you win an argument, you lose the battle which gives you the spoil. And you need to be wise like David to turn and walk away. Choose your battles. Because you have only limited time in your hands. If he had turned around and started fighting with Eliab, his focus would have gone, his anointing would have left. He wouldn't have been able to fight Goliath. And people don't realize so many, all of God's children who have been anointed to destroy powers of darkness are not fighting even that battle. How many of us are actually fighting the powers of darkness where God says, Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions and they shall by no means harm you. The God of peace shall trample Satan under your feet. How do you have peace? Not by getting in an argument, just walking away from arguments. Just walk away. You have peace. If he's mad, so what? I have peace with him. He says it's not at any cost. It's not at any cost. There is no spoil in fighting your brother. There's no spoil in fighting your spouse. You can discuss the issue. No reconciliation. Walk away. Walk away. In Ephesians 6 verse 12, it is so very clear. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities. That's how you should read it. We do not. That's a wrong battle. It will eat your time, it will eat your anointing, it will eat your talents, you will eat your resources. It will go. Leave it alone. That's not a fight fighting for. The issue cannot be resolved, walk away. But there is a battle where there is a spoil. So Jesus did not go around fighting with everybody who was arguing with him. He left it alone. But he fought a battle and scripture says he disarmed principalities and he spoiled them. Spoiled them. And he took captivity captive and led them as a train to heaven. Very wise in picking his battles. And because he chose his battle carefully and refused to get into a battle with his brothers, when time changed, scripture says in First Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. They went down to him. The hour of trouble came, they realized, let's go to him. Because he didn't pick a battle with us. And we know that guy is a peaceable guy. We can find shelter with him. Understand, these are all foundational, fundamental principles of the kingdom of God. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the, has the, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have every believer. It doesn't have. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't have every believer. If you're anointed, you don't have to look for a stage. Just look for a place to serve. 
the stages will come to you in due course. But every stage should be chosen that you are able to serve more. Scripture says, actually Samuel will tell Saul, when you were small in your own eyes, God picked you. Now, he cannot use you because you are very big in your own eyes. So, your time of utility is over. The truth is that David also was picked when he was very small in his own eyes. And the best part is that all the days of his life, he remained small in his own eyes. So scripture will say, Pastor Vijay mentioned in last Sunday's message also from book of Acts, David served God, God's purpose in his generation and rested with his fathers. Did you remember Pastor Vijay said that in last Sunday's message, though you were all sitting here? Because you didn't listen carefully. I learned, learned, heard it on WhatsApp and I remember exactly the message, the words that he used. David served God's purpose in his generation. Why? Because he remained small in his eyes, so he always had God's purpose before him. Whenever he goofed up, God could correct him. Because God can always, because it's not that small men don't fall. They fall because they trip easier, because they are small. But they can always be corrected. And they will always change course. Those who are big in their eyes, they won't change course. Saul wouldn't change course. Saul did, David did not fight for the crown. He refused the opportunities to kill King, kill King Saul and gain the crown. Therefore, he always retained his anointing. He could serve at the palace and also at the sheep pen at the same time. Can you? He was anointed as a teenager, but he saw his first real breakthrough at 30. When? 30. 30 when Saul is dead, Judah comes and anoints him at Hebron. And you or I, if we are not small in our eyes, after these 12 or 13 years of miserable running around from this king, mad king, at 30, when your breakthrough comes, and you said, you give me one tribe out of 12? One tribe? One tribe? But he was faithful with one tribe. How many years? Pastor Vijay, zip your lip. How many years? How many years? Seven years and six months faithful with one tribe. Though he was anointed as a teenager over the whole nation of Israel. Faithful over one tribe for seven years and a half. And in between, he saw nothing. Just 600 men. You are anointed over Israel. Let us say you are anointed when you are 15. And for 15 years you have 600 men. You anointed over the whole land to rule. And then for the next seven and a half years out of twelve, you have one tribe. And you're still faithful. No complaints. But what you don't realize, your anointing is increasing. In Second Samuel chapter 2, verse 4, scripture says, The men of Judah came, there they anointed David again. He's anointed again. In chapter 5, verse 3, scripture says after that, therefore all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord and they anointed David again. He's the only king, if I am right, who got three anointings. 
Because he remained small all the days of his life. That's what God is talking about. Like I said in the beginning, time is like money, but not money. There's only a certain amount you can spend. Spend it wisely. Money is also like that. Most people spend all their money and time on themselves. Therefore, they have nothing to spend on others. Therefore, it becomes a wasted life. Wasted life. You see, Zacchaeus spent his entire life chasing money. And then one day he heard Jesus was coming. He climbed a tree. Jesus said, come down young man, old man. I'm coming to your house for dinner. Jesus went to his house. Everything changed. Spirit touched him. Focus changed. Priority changed. And the first decision he takes is with money. He says, from all whom I have taken, I'll give. for That's okay. But half my wealth I'm going to sell and I'm going to now invest in the coming kingdom. I will use it to serve people. His entire focus changed. Absolutely changed. All Jesus did was walk into his house. And Jesus looked at him and said, wow, you got the message. Salvation has come into your house today. Your focus, your priorities have changed. About time, about money, everything. Your whole, whole career options, everything has changed. Why? You realize, I've been gifted for a purpose. To serve God and his people. I didn't give it to you as we close. Isaiah 58 verse 10 and 11. If you extend your soul to the hungry. And satisfy the afflicted soul. Then your light shall dawn in the darkness. And your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually. And satisfy your soul in drought. And strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden. And like a spring of water. Whose waters do not fail. He says. If you extend your soul. To the hungry. And it's not talking about food alone. Because now we have PDS. Public distribution system. You don't have two rupee rice. It's not talking about that. But there are so many hungry people. In the places where you are sitting. And working. Absolutely hungry. And nobody in your company can feed them. Except you. Except you. Nobody can. Because if we are so focused on ourselves, we will never be able to look at a hungry soul. We will not be able to identify an hungry soul. I always will repeat it over and over. Joseph's breakthrough came in the prison. If there was one man who was innocent in that prison, it was he. If one man who should have been miserable, it was he. And he was not. One of the first questions he asked in the prison is asking two men, why is your face downcast? Why is your face downcast? That began his road trip to heaven. So God is asking us this question this morning. And telling us, the Holy Spirit is not going to help us just because we are a Christian. No. The Holy Spirit helps those in their life project for those who put God first, who value God over and above everything. It is not about being perfect. It is about being putting God first. You know, one of the beautiful things when you study the same scripture over and over and over and over and over and you don't see it, you preach it a thousand times all over the world and still you don't see it until God opens your eyes. Scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
what we what i never saw that the blessing is in the seeking not just in the finding if what he says find the kingdom of god and his purpose and you shall he didn't say that he says you don't have to find it i'm just looking at your heart what are you seeking and when i see what you are seeking i will start blessing you David is not called a man who found God. He is called a man who sought God. A man after God's heart. Not a man who got God's heart. That's the difference we need to understand. What are you seeking is what God is saying. Because what are you seeking, that's the only manner in which God can reveal himself to you and me. What are we seeking? It's all that God is asking. If you are not seeking God first in everything, Simple, simple ways in your studies, in your workplace, everything, putting God first. Sometimes, you know, we need to learn from the Hindus. They are religious. You know, when they go to the... Have you, have you worked among Hindus in the office? He's not ashamed of his God. He's not ashamed of his God. You'll go to his office first. He's got his picture over there. He will take that, this thing. Then he will sit down. Very clear. So he doesn't know the real God. We play hide and seek. You know why? Because we are ashamed of our God. Ashamed of our God. God says no. David was not ashamed. Joseph was not ashamed. Daniel was not ashamed. And in the secular space, what I am telling you, in your secular spaces where you are, whether you are a student or a worker, you could put God first. God says, I will prosper you. I will give you wisdom which the world cannot give. Which enchanters and magicians and doctorates cannot crack. I can make you ten times better. Simply because you honored me in your workplace. That's how you see God first. That's how your priorities change. But like I said, how many will receive this? We don't know. We don't know how many will receive this. How many will receive it? That's the key. How many will receive it and say, you know what, I heard the truth. I believe. So help me God. Even when you swear in the court in America, at the end, what do you say? I will speak nothing but the truth. But the truth and only the truth. So, so they're saying, Lord, even to speak the truth, help me God. I've seen the truth. This is the truth. Lord, help me. To put you first. And one of the first things I will honestly will tell you is fellowship. During fellowship, don't make silly, useless conversations. Negative conversation. And when you are speaking or you hearing, walk away. Do not let anything or anybody distract you from what you have heard. Distract you. Walk away. Because it's worth. You're making a statement. They may not understand, but you're making a statement. Lord, I value you. I value. One thing now with GSS, with these children, is that they have no clue that I can see them on the camera. And I see you walking. I have never seen older and younger people how you waste time. Simply walking around. Walking around. And I look at it and says, children in the world are more wise. They sit and work hard. They sit and work hard. Your first calling as a student is to study. Study till your back breaks. You don't need supervisors. You don't need supervisors. 
You don't need supervisors. You know what your call is. Your call is to study. And yet do all the other things because there are no children anymore. You can do everything. You don't need servants. You don't need ayahs. You don't need maids. You don't need anybody. You can do it all and still be the best student. I'm not talking about your marks. I'm saying you are doing your work for somebody who is watching you so that he can lift you up in due season. Due season. No lazy fellow will sit on any kind of throne in heaven. Never. It's not possible. Because Jesus said, I and my father are at work from the beginning till today. And they are excellent, not workers. They are excellent servers. Till the moment when they are speaking, he's serving us. That's why we are alive. That's why the building is standing. That's why things haven't ended. That's why haven't fallen and died. Because he is still serving us. We cannot be different if our God is a servant. We cannot be any different. And if you're wasting your time, you're actually saying that others should serve me. And you haven't found the principle of the kingdom. You haven't found the principle of this kingdom. And that's my issue with students, whether in the secular realm or in the kingdom. I say that, you know, if you don't study hard, you're wasting your time. Everybody's time. You're wasting your resources. I'm not saying how much you understand, how much you mark. That's irrelevant. Scripture doesn't say, um, Daniel studied so hard and he wrote so well, so he was the first. He says, he did all that. But God gave him understanding because he saw how honest and integrity he had before God and before man. When it came to work, he would not be distracted. David would not be distracted. He was there right in the palace, enjoying the amenities of the palace. But the minute he knew my work is over, straight away went to the ship pen. Which young man or young woman who today would leave the palace for a ship wilderness to take after sheep? No, nobody would. Unless you're really touched by God. That's why I said, for those who had a holiday today, today was your definitive day. How did you use your time? You see, the Pharisees thought the seventh day God rested and he hallowed it. So they thought he made a hammock and he was lying over there. Jesus came and said, hey dude, you don't understand. God rested on Sabbath. That doesn't mean he stopped working. If he stops working, you are all gone. You are all gone. Get these principles very, very correctly. There is a God who watches. Watches you at your office, you at your school, me in my office, everywhere God is working. Or whether we are working or not. And how we are maximizing our time and our priorities accordingly. You know, Like I said, everybody has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't have everybody. And he's still waiting. Still waiting. Man, shall we pray? Father, this evening we come to you once again, Lord. The last Wednesday of this 11th month. Oh, Father, we just surrender everything into thy hands, O oh Lord. For me, Father, maybe one more Wednesday. Again, we will gather here. I'm leaving for a mission, but your children and your servant will be here. I pray the word we have heard. We will learn to prioritize our time and our talents, our resources keeping in sight the coming kingdom. That when we enter into your kingdom, we will be able to know we have stored treasures in heaven. That we will wisely pick battles that have spoils. And we will not pick battles 
which waste our time, our resources and energy. Help us to utilize the incredible power of the Holy Spirit given to those who believe. Your words is the very power that released Jesus from the grave and lifted him up to the highest place is given to every child of yours. And help us to channelize that for you, for your kingdom and for your people. And let the young ones sitting over here realize this is a time of preparation. Like David in the wilderness. It was a time of preparation. God is watching how we use his time, his talent and his power. Help us to be faithful stewards, O Lord. Good stewards of life. So one day we can truly reign with you. Thank you, Father. Plead the blood of Jesus over your church. Put a hedge of protection around them. And I speak healing into every body that is not well. Let there be healing, Lord. Released into the body of Christ. An opening of eyes into the soul, Lord. To understand that you never change. Therefore, we can trust you. And obey you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.